We're Joshua chapter 5, and we're reading from the verse 10 down to the end, just a few verses. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month, at evening time, in the plains of Jericho. They kept that feast under the very nose of the giants and the enemies of the land. They weren't ashamed of their God. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow, after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the self-same day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went on to him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain or prince of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord? Unto his servant. That's a good question to ask God, isn't it? What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the Lord has something to say to us, no doubt, this morning. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoes from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. And Joshua did did so. Many years ago, Sam Workman and myself were responsible for a weekend uh, rally in a certain town in the province. Sam was preaching on the Friday night, and I was preaching on the Saturday night. And on the Friday night when Sam got up to speak, he said, I'm going to soap you tonight and Johnson's coming tomorrow night to shave you. For the past number of Sunday mornings, I have been shaving. And I have been shaving fairly close with a fairly sharp razor. And I am sure, and I hope I have, I hope I have cut someone into their heart with the word of the living God. You see, the razor, the knife, the sword of the word can be painful at times. In order that a surgeon can get into the very malignant part and get that putrefying sore out, he has to dig the scalpel very deep. Always remember that amongst many responsibilities that the servant of the Lord has, there's two as well, two. One is he, his job is to afflict the comfortable, and the other one is to comfort the afflicted. 
You know, the prophets of God on, uh, were mer emergency men in crisis hours. They searched the word of God. They came from the secret place with the message of God burning in their hearts. And they delivered it without fear or favor of men. And whether people wanted it or whether people liked it or not, to be faithful to God, to be faithful to his calling and to the charge, he delivered that message with God's eye upon them. You see, the reason that people rebel against the sword or the razor or the, or, or, or the, 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 the blade is when it wounds them. When it touches something in their heart that they don't like and something that they're not prepared to deal with. And that, my friend, is so evident through the Word of God that when the sword of the Lord, with the power of the Lord, comes into the heart of man, we're hearing about it in that hymn there. I didn't know he was going to read that hymn, Stephen. And the motives that control right into the very recesses of our heart. When that word of God gets in, then we either obey it or we reject it or we rebel against it or we turn against it and then we turn on the preacher. And so often the preacher's castigated for bringing a word that people don't want to hear or they're not prepared to obey. And that is very, very sad. And I trust that that is not the case. That if God has spoken to you in past Sunday mornings, and if he's speaking into your heart about things in your life, don't rebel against him. Surrender and submit yourself to God. And people, obviously, and we have experienced it here over 33 years, if they don't like that sort of preaching, they, 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 they move on to some other establishment or some other place where they prophesy smooth things. And that's what they want to hear. When they hear the prophet saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace, that's just what they want. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a very professional surgeon. He was second in command to Lord Horder, who was the Queen's gynecologist. He was one of the brightest medical men of his day at 25 and 6 years of age. And he left the profession and he went to a wee church away up in, in the hills of Wales. A very small number he pastored there with the call of God. And he was away up on the mountain one snowy night at a mission hall preaching. And there was only about a half a dozen people got out to the meeting because of the weather. And he preached to them on repentance. And this man came to him afterwards and he said to him, uh, Mr. Jones, we made an effort to get out here tonight and these dear people struggled in the snow and the cold to get here and you have lashed us on repentance. He says, my dear friend, whenever I was a surgeon, I didn't ask the patient to prescribe the medicine. And so, my friend, we have to take the medicine that God gives to us whether we like it or not. However, it's my intention this morning to soap you, not to soft soap you, but to soap you. And I'm not looking for anything I can say in return. I want to comfort you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning. 
I want to do something that I'm not all that good at this morning. I want to try and lift you with the word of God this morning. You know, every one of us have a Jericho. Every one of us have giants. Every one of us have Jericho walls that are shut up that we cannot get through. Impenetrable. And like Joshua, when we lift up our eyes and behold them, we say to ourselves and we say to others, I cannot, I cannot handle this Jericho wall. It's too great for me. Let me tell you that the Jericho wall was 90 foot high, 30 foot thick, 3 mile in circumference. Now I don't know what you're mountain is, what your Jericho is, what your wall is, what your giants are this morning. It may be something to do with your health. Maybe something to do with your family. It may be something to do with your marriage or your sin or some lust or something in your past. I don't know what the barriers are this morning in your life and you don't know what they are in my life. But let me tell you, that they can come down. Let me tell you that they must come down. And let me tell you something else, that they will come down if the Prince of God, if the Lord Jesus Christ, the commander, speaks the word, the walls can fall and fall flat and disappear out of sight. But that's what happened to them and it can be gone. Take hold, take heart this morning that God, can deal with whatever your wall or barrier may be. Now, the first line of comfort that I want to look at this morning here is the Lord's provision for his people. And we'll be showing you from the context something of the Lord's provisions for his people. You remember Paul, when he ends up in the Philippine letter, he says that great uh, verse that we all know very well, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. My God, that's personal. We can sing blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, 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 mine. My God, you take hold of that this morning, that the eternal God is your personal God this morning. My God, my God. Thomas could say, my Lord and my God. David could say, my shepherd. Mary could say, my savior. Gideon could say, my deliverer. Paul could say, my helper. Personal. Personal. Secondly, my God shall. That's positive. No doubt about that. No doubt about that, that he'll supply whatever your need is. As a child of God, he'll supply it. David said, I am old. I, I was young and now I'm old. But I never saw I see the seed begging bread. My God, that's personal. Shall, that's positive. Shall supply all your need, that's plenty. According to his riches in glory. In Christ Jesus, that's the person. Hallelujah this morning. Listen, he's rich in grace. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in wisdom. Paul talks about his exceeding riches, his unsearchable riches, his unending riches. 
Oh, I tell you, we're dealing with one who is rich and powerful, who will supply all our need. Now, the supply of God is for the past, has been in the past, is in the present, and will always be in the future as long as we are here. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 39. Thou hast set me behind, that's the past. Thou hast set me before, that's the future. Thou hast laid thine hand upon me, that's the present. Hallelujah. Past, present, and future. Take heart this morning. Praise God this morning. Thank God this morning that we have a God who sees and looks upon us and is our personal God and our personal Savior who past, present, and future looks after us. Now, keeping this in this context this morning, the children of Israel, millions of these people, from the moment that they were redeemed in Egypt, had every need supplied, physically, materially, spiritually. Their feet never swole in 40 years. Their shoes never wore out. He closed the very mouth of the dogs that they wouldn't bark when he was bringing them out. And for 40 years, they were backslidden, murmuring, complaining, accusing God, and despising the manna that God gave to them every day for 40 years. If you read that wee verse in number, Numbers, they said, this manna, this oh that we had the garlics and the cucumbers, Oh, this, you can hear the hiss, this, manna. Manna were detesting the very manna that God was feeding and providing them with. Let me tell you, my friend, and I know that I have a larger audience than this this morning, and I want to make it clear to you this morning that our God does not be mocked. This manna, my friend, is one of the most precious types of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Word of God. It was a round white wafer that came from heaven to earth and lay daily outside their tents, fed two million people and over it for 40 years. See, here Spurgeon says it took a million tons a year. A million tons a year dropped from heaven to the very door of their tent. And all they had to do was to go out and lift it. It was there for them. I tell you, my friend, it speaks of the humility of Christ. He came from heaven to earth. It speaks of the purity of Christ. It was white. He was wholly harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. It speaks of the eternality of Christ. It was around. There was no rough edges on Christ. Oh, what a feast we could have if we would deal upon this manna. And let me tell you, it was consistent. Every morning, apart from the Sabbath, when they gathered twice on the day before, they had to get up early and get it. They had to reach out for it. Tell me, I, I ask you this morning, did you, did you handle the manna this morning? Did you get up and seek the Lord this morning? Have you been before the Lord this morning? And then I, can I say as I pass on, and I entirely want to encourage you this morning, let me, is there a backslider here this morning and you used to get up and gather the manna and you used to feed on it and you used to sing about it and you used to remember it, but you don't any longer. 
You're murmuring and wandering in the wilderness of sin. Well, let me say to you, you might have forgotten him, but he hasn't forgotten you. Return, he says. He loves the backslider with all his heart. Come back to the manna. Come back to the word. Come back to Christ. Come back to him who invites you to do so this morning. So the Lord's provision was for the past and it's for the present. And these verses that we read, now listen, these verses that we read, they were at Gilgal. They were having the Passover feast. That Passover feast was followed by the feast of the unleavened bread. And for the unleavened bread, they required parched corn for the sacrifice. Now hear me this morning. They're out at Gilgal. They're under the nose of the enemy. They're gathered together, two million of them. God holds them up to circumcise them. Then they have the Passover feast and the feast of the unleavened bread that followed it. And for the feast of the unleavened bread, they need the parched corn. Where did they get it? The old corn, it says in verse 11. Last year's corn harvested by the Canaanites who labored diligently day after day and stored it up in the granaries and the houses. They're now duking and hiding behind the walls of Jericho in fear and the people of God are eating their corn. The Lord has strange ways for providing for his people. He, he fed Elijah with the ravens morning and evening. He sent Peter down to the Galilee and a fish came up with the tax money in his mouth. My friend, God will provide all your need. George Mueller said, George Mueller had four or five hundred orphans and he had nothing to feed them with. They were starving. He had one bit for them. He prayed by faith the whole thing through and through. And that morning as they sat there, those, those orphans, there wasn't one bite. There wasn't one drink. There was nothing for them. And he, he said, he said, if God fails me this time, it will be the first time. If God fails me this time, it will be the first time. And that milk horse wagon with the milk tumbled, that wheel came off outside the, outside the orphanage and the milk came down onto the road and bottles or cans or whatever it was in and the boy Drew the milk all into the children. God will supply our need. David Brainerd, who went to the mission field to the indigenous Indians of, of America, and he went out there, and he died at 29 years of age. He spat blood in the snow. They could see the blood where, where he died out there serving the Lord and trying to win the loss for the Lord. I'll tell you this, God got the knife into him. And he used to preach through drunken interpreters, drunken interpreters who used to bring the word to the people and they're saved in hundreds. One night in a snowstorm, he got up into the trunk of a tree and he was hungry and he had nothing to eat. He got away up into the trunk of a tree and, 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 and squirrels came in. One squirrel after the other and dropped nuts at his feet. God shall supply all our need. This corn was parched corn. 
You see, my friend, we know, you know the story, listen to me. There was a mark and there was a meal. And this is the meal. You know, it must have been mighty for Caleb and Joshua to remember the Lord. And we're going to remember the Lord very soon again here. And it'll be wonderful to get back in to remember the Lord. I'll not be making excuses. I want to get in to remember the Lord. I want to meet with God's people on the Lord's day. You know, it must have been wonderful, wonderful for Joshua and Caleb, who for 40 years had never, never tasted of the Passover. They'd never enjoyed the unleavened bread at the table. Joshua, I think, must have wept and praised above all. Do you know why? Do you know why this unleavened bread and this Passover feast was so precious to Caleb and to, and to Joshua? Joshua knew what it was to be redeemed by the blood. He was born in slavery. He and Caleb were born in slavery. They knew something of the whip and the scourge. They watched their fathers. They watched their mothers. They watched the children being scourged and whipped to death by Pharaoh. They knew what it was to be redeemed. Do you know what it is to be redeemed this morning? Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And I'm sure that Joshua's heart swole up when he began to think of the Passover and the redemption and what God had done and how he had brought them out and how he had brought them over and how he had blessed them. He had heard the cries and the groanings. He had watched what Pharaoh had done. He was born in slavery. But oh, there came the day when he was emancipated. And I thank my God this morning from the back of this lorry that God saved me one day. I praise God for the day that he brought me out of darkness into light. I praise God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. There's a stand in the moy tonight. I'm not ashamed that you don't have to juke away, redeemed, redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, hammered, beaten, scourged, battered, crowned with thorns, spat upon at Calvary's cross for my sins. Oh, my dear friend, I am sure that Joshua's, I'm sure that Joshua shed a tear. Never let us forget the day that we were saved. Never let us stop to thank God for redemption. Thank God. Thank God for the old corn. Thank God for the old truths. Never deny the old truths. Thank God for the old corn of redemption. Thank God for the old corn of substitution and atonement and justification by faith. I'm sick listening to modernists and humanists. Telling about something new, something new, something new. We need something new. We need to get away from this old authoritarian preacher. We need something new. Well, my friend, let me tell you that I have all the new things that I need. Of a new birth. Of a new heart. Of a new soul. I'm a new creature. I'm going to a new heaven. I have new mercies every morning. I have a new name. And I could go on and on. I don't need anything new. I don't need anything that the modernists have. 
I have plenty here in this old word. I have Christ the corn. And I'll tell you something else about Caleb. And I'll tell you something else why he would have enjoyed this Passover feast. And why we will enjoy when we get round the table of the Lord to remember him. I'll tell you why, why this man, he was the firstborn. He was the son of none, the firstborn. And only for the blood put up on the altar, on these, on the lintels, on the doorposts, only for the blood put up by his father, he would have been destroyed. Do you hear that, Father? He was the firstborn son of none. And if his father wouldn't have bothered going out that night and putting the blood on the doorposts on the lintels, the destroying angel would have destroyed him. Father, I say to you, make much of the blood before your children. Don't be ashamed of the blood before your children. Don't be ashamed of the Lord's table and remembering them before your children, for they'll go the same way. Oh, I think that this man's heart would have welled up when he began to think of the redemption and what might have happened to him if the blood would not have been placed upon the doorposts of his house and the lintels of his home and that that sacrificed lamb was not slain. Oh, my friend, where would we be this morning? Now, being steeped in this scripture, Joshua meditated upon the word of God day and night. That's what Joshua chapter 1 tells us. Meditated upon the word of God day and night, morning and evening. Do you do that? You see, he was saturated in the word and he knew what the old corn would have meant. He knew about the seed corn. He knew that except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it biteth alone. He knew that the seed had to be buried. He knew that it had to rise up to newness of life. He knew that it had to be bruised and trampled by the feet of the oxen. As Isaiah says, brood, brood, bread corn had to be bruised. It had to be parched. It had to be boiled. It had to be roasted. Friend, we're back at Calvary. Corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abided alone. And God on the third day he rose again. He that was roasted and parched and beaten and hammered and trampled on the seed, the bread of life, the very sustenance that we have this morning. Hallelujah. My heart is full this morning as I meditated over these truths and God showed them to me. The bruised corn, the corn had to be buried, it had to be bruised, it had to be boiled, and it had to be brought to the people. And we need to bring the gospel in all its fullness to the people. Solomon says, he that withholdeth the corn shall be cursed. He that withholdeth the corn shall be cursed. You can't withhold something if you haven't got it. And I hear ministers and preachers at funerals withholding the corn. Afraid of the people. God help us never to withhold the corn. 
Let him be cursed, he said, whoever withholdeth the corn. Now, as we come to a close, is it any wonder that Joshua, after all this, after the Passover, the unleavened bread, the circumcision, the blessings of surrounding and being with his people, is it any wonder he went out to view the walls of Jericho? And I believe that he went out on his own to view the walls of Jericho. And I believe that the fire was burning in his soul. He had obeyed the Lord as far as he could. He had the mark upon him. He had the memory of the Passover upon him. He's gone out now to the walls of Jericho. And he stands there and he lifts up his eyes and he beholds these walls that I'm after explaining to you. What an awesome sight there must have been. You see the Lord's presence, but the Lord's provision. And in verse 13 it says, and, and, and don't you, don't you forget that wee word, and. It links what went on before. And after all things were in place, after he had kept and fulfilled what God had told him, do you know there could have been over a month? From they came over. Well, they had to be circumcised. That took seven to ten days. Then they had the Passover feast. And then they had the feast of the unleavened bread. And even then they had to wait seven days before the walls came down. So there was a waiting match. And here he goes out to meet to, to, to the walls. And he met a man with a sword drawn in his hand. And we know this is a theophany. We know that this is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. On the two in the road to Emmaus, he appeared in another form. And our Lord Jesus, the commander, the prince, he's here, he's standing before me. He doesn't know it at this stage, but he's standing before him. And he comes to people, my friend, in different situations, in different times. He came to Hagar. The Lord Jesus came down to Hagar on the edge of the wilderness as as our Savior, came to Jacob as the wrestler, came to Gideon as the deliverer, came to Paul as the helper. He came here as the commander. He has come to take over the whole business. He hasn't come to help Joshua. He has come to take over from Joshua. And friend, when we submit ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, you take over. I can't handle this. Then he'll take over. The Lord doesn't need our help. Vain is the help of man. You see, the problem is in the church, and I'm coming to a close in a moment, the problem is that we try to do so much ourselves. For years we've been trying to do it ourselves, my friend. But the battle's not ours, the battle is the Lord. They'll never move this, these walls, or never move this foe by fighting. That's why Ephesians and this book of Joshua's linked together, Ephesians 6, because the Canaanites. And remember this, that the Canaanites barred the whole way into Canaan. They had to root the Canaanites out. They had to take Jericho in order that they could win and take the rest of the wicked men and women 
that held the land. But the Canaanites were notorious for demonology, child sacrifice, wizardry, all sorts of evil and wicked spirits. And my friend, we are fighting not against flesh and blood this morning. And we can't do it. Or we meetings will not do it. If we're going to root out the enemy, we're going to have to have the whole armor of God on. We're going to have to have the sword drawn. We're running against the wiles of the devil. It'll have to be God that will do it. It'll have to be God that will pull down the strongholds of Satan. It'll have to be God that pulls down the wicked, evil spirits that are in our, entrenched in our land and in our district. I and in some of our homes, maybe. Joshua fell at his face and worshipped. He fell on his belly and his face to the ground when he discovered who he was and he worshipped. Now we are told today that worshipping is a guitar and a banjo and a drum. I'm not saying anything against it. What is worship? Real, true worship, my friend, is lying at the feet of Jesus, maybe not saying a word for hours. Real worship is worship. What's he worth? What's he worth to you this morning? And as you sit at his feet and wait on him and began to assemble in your mind the worship, how worthy he is. How worth. They that worship me, worship me in spirit and in truth. Let me say this. We can, we only can really and truly and fully worship him when we really and truly and fully obey him. If they wouldn't have, if they had reneged against the circumcision, if they had reneged against the Passover lamb, if they had reneged against the unleavened bread, if they are reneged against God, he would not have come. He would not have appeared. He will not appear to rebellious people. He fell prostrate on his face in dust. What do you see? How do you sum this up? Let me sum it up with Joshua here. There's the bravery of Joshua. You see in verse 13, he left the camp, I think early in the morning. He came close to the walls as he could get. And suddenly, suddenly this unknown soldier with a sword drawn, ready for battle, doesn't seem to alarm him. He went right up and faced him. He never drew a sword. He never ran back to the soldiers. He never tried to negotiate some sort of a deal with this man he didn't know at this time. Why was that? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us, by faith. The walls of Jericho came down. You see, God told them in chapter 1, friend, listen, this will 
Bless your heart this morning. God told them in chapter 1, Be strong, be of good courage, be not afraid, neither be dismayed. The Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest, listen, and no man shall stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. He's trusting by faith in the word of God that he has given to him. No man shall stand before you. He has no fear. He claimed the promise that God gave him. He had steeped himself in the word. He had encouraged himself in the promises of God. And let me say to you this morning, whoever stands in your way, Fear them not. Let it be from your own household or let it be from outside. You fear him or her not. You stand your ground. Don't run. God will reveal himself. The bravery of Joshua. Then there's the clarity of Joshua. There's no small talk. Didn't say how, how, how you doing. What's the weather like? No small talk. Here's what Joshua said. Are you for us? Or are you against us? That's all that he said. There's no middle of the road here. You're either on the Lord's side or you're not. Whose side are you on? Now declare yourself. Whose side are you on? Does Joseph Parker the Mighty minister in the temple, London City Temple, said about C.H. Spurgeon, who was his contemporary at that time, he said about Spurgeon, one thing about Spurgeon. He has only two colors, and it's black or white. He's either in, he's out. He's either up or down. He's not a middle-of-the-road man. You see... Joshua had learned this from Moses because God said the same thing to Moses after the golden calf. You remember Moses called them all together and Joshua would have been there that day and he said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him follow the Lord. Joshua said after himself, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's no twist and turn. There's no middle of the road here. Vance Havner says the middle of the road is a dangerous place. You let knock down. Whose side are you on? This is what he's saying. Are you for us or are you against us? That's all I want to know. My friend, you either serve God or we serve mammon. It's either good or evil. Your heart is either in the work fully or is out of the work. The bravery, the clarity, the humility, he fell down on his face. The purity, take the shoes from off thy feet. That old, those old shoes are contaminated with the world, the cursed world. Take them off. This is holy ground. I am God. I am here. You lie on your belly. He says, Lord, what, what did you say to me? He had nothing to say to him then. Nothing. He didn't say, I don't know what, Moses, what, what Joshua was expecting. He said, just take your shoes off. Holy ground. All I want is your purity and holiness. All I want is obedience. And then I will do it. 
And in the next chapter 6 and verse 2, is it? He says, I have given unto thee Jericho. It's already done. Before the march rounded seven times and seven times in one day, before they blew the trumpets, before anything else, he says, listen, when he was lying there in his belly before him with his shoes off, he says, I have given thee Jericho. It's already done. Now claim it this morning. That mountain, that wall, that giant, claim it this morning. Don't run. Don't be running looking to people. Face the Lord. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then search your heart. Search your life. There's nothing betwixt us, Lord. Lord, what are you going to do? And the Lord says, I have given, already done. It's as good as done. You'll not have to fight in this battle. All you'll have to do is to march, your men to march around it. I'll do the rest. I'll handle the giants. I'll handle the demons. I'll handle the dark spirits of hell. I'll bring the walls down. I'll not only bring them down, I'll bring them down. They can't even find them today. They've searched for them for hundreds of years. They went right down under the ground, flat, they fell down. They didn't, they didn't fall out, they fell down. And my friend, God will take every sin and everything and he'll cast them into the sea of his forgetful. And they'll never be remembered no more and nobody can find them and listen. That burden, that trial, that trouble, wherever you are across the world this morning, wherever you're listening to me, and thank God there's some listening to me from Canada, some listening from America this morning, thank God, let me say to you, whatever that burden is, believer, whatever that burden, whatever that trial, whatever that thing that vexes you and annoys you and you can't handle, submit it all to God and very soon you will find that it's God. Hallelujah. For there's power in the blood of the Lamb. May God bless and may God take this word and may he wing it deep into our hearts and we'll come back next week, God willing, and the week after, God willing, and we'll see these walls being, being taken down and God getting the victory and the glory. Hallelujah for the word of the living God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the living word. We thank you, Lord, that it's manna to our souls. We thank you for the manna and we thank you for the corn and we thank you for every remembrance of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. We thank you for the cross and the blood, the risen, exalted Jesus. We thank you that Jesus is on the throne, mighty to save and to deliver. We have no fear, Lord. We bless thee for all the new things you have given to us. And we praise you, O God, this morning that there's victory in the blood. For, Lord, the victory came as he lay in his face and his belly and he recognized that he couldn't do anything as his men and his 600,000 soldiers and the 2 million people couldn't do anything but God in one minute can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Oh, God, forgive us for our lack of faith. Forgive us for our lack of doubt. By faith. The walls of Jericho fell down. May we have faith in the promises of the word of God and hold on and wait for that moment when God will come and remember us. Lord, we pray for the Moy tonight. We pray for those public houses, Lord, and people standing outside them. We pray 
for the preaching of the word of God tonight, Lord. We pray that will, others will come and encourage thy servants. And, oh, God, that we'll have a vision for souls and for the lost. Come, Lord, we pray. Oh, God, it's time for thee to work. We bless thee for your precious word. We bless thee for the Holy Spirit. We bless you for the exalted Savior. We praise you for your mercies and your grace. And ask, Lord, that you'll bless us this day and keep your hand upon us. But we ask it all in the Savior's wonderful, precious name. Amen.